0: do care i am your host georgie corkery pronouns she they and this podcast is all about different topics that address queer intersectional ecofeminism, or anything related to it this is my september episode and for it we're going to be talking about stokes nature center and to talk about it I have on Patrick Kelly. Patrick (laughs) is the Director of Education at Stokes Nature Center, as well as a fellow grad student with me here at USU, getting his PhD in Environment and Society, and he also always has excellent shirts on, including today. Hi, Patrick.
1: Hi. My pronouns, he, him. Thank you for the very kind compliment. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You do. You always have good shirts on, and I feel like I often say that to you so I don't know, maybe I should tone it down. But now it's official, it's recorded.
1: It's official. I love floral prints. I just like, (laughs) I don't know, they just give me such joy, and I like joy. Joy's nice.
0: Joy is really nice. Before we talk about my favorite things, I want to ask you, what are you most excited to discuss today about Stokes?
1: Yeah, I'm excited just to talk about what Stokes does, because I think it's really important, and I think it's something that... You know, we haven't strayed too far from our founding mandate of nature education and bringing people into the Cache National Forest that's right here. And I really, really enjoy that because I think no matter where you are in life, no matter your background, the natural world is a world we're all inherently a part of. And so it's something that I really enjoy. And it's something that connects us all, because we're all animals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And I feel like I've talked a lot about that in terms of the outdoors being a space for everybody. But we can get more into that after we talk about the cats that we've interacted with (laughs) recently. (laughs) Have you seen any cute cats recently?
1: I have had two recent cat interactions. One is... Uh, Some good friends of mine have two sphinx cats, and I got to cat sit for them recently. And one of them is a hungry, hungry boy. He (laughs) loves eating, and so you have to coach him and like play zone defense on him as the other cat (laughs) is eating. And then after they've eaten, the one that's kind of shy, he'll like skitter scatter off and Mm -hmm. go do his thing in the house. And Leonard, the the chonky boy, will just <laughs> curl up next to you, and you just get to pet this hairless cat that isn't actually hairless. And very, very soft. The other cat interaction I had is we had a mountain lion sighted <gasps> by the Nature Center <gasps> a wow! couple weeks ago. Excellent. And so I got to go around and put up signs that said, there's a mountain lion mm-hmm. that was sighted. and
0: I saw those signs. <laughs> yeah. I was a little nervous.
1: Yeah. But... Luckily, it was... You know, in its natural habitat, doing its natural mountain lion thing, it was getting a drink of water at the river. We worked with the Forest Service, and they just said, "Yeah, it's just doing its thing. So tell people it's out there, and if we don't see it for a week, then it's probably all good."
0: That's so cool! You saw it at Stokes.
1: Yes, I didn't see it, but it was reported. No, I wish. But you saw
0: pictures of mountain lions when you were posting the flyers everywhere? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Perfect. Um, My cats, a little less exciting, were Milo, Ronan's cat, who I talk about on every episode because I just see Ronan a lot, and therefore I see Milo, and he's so cute. Have you met him? I haven't. Oh, he's so cute. Um, And then Bufo, which is another grad student named Ray, Ray's cat also very happy there was a party happening and Ray was just like here's my cat and holding the cat and the cat was like yeah there's a party happening I'm here just chilling in Ray's arms I was like I love this cat (laughs) and then Lenny Lenny has really cute little blue eyes and is a small little baby cat that uh my friend Paxton adopted when he bought a house because the house came with a cat
1: oh wow yeah
0: yeah he was like I'm not a cat person and uh now he just sends me pictures of his cat all the time, and he's definitely a capper. I
1: wonder if that's in the deed or the contract,
0: like <laughs>
1: one cat. I know when my partner, her name is Cat, when we bought a house, the deed came with chickens. And so we oh. got six chickens included in the house.
0: I don't think that's how it went down. Paxton was just like, yeah, he asked if I would take the cat with the house because owner, previous owner, tried to take Lenny, the cat, with him. And she was not having it. So, yeah, inherit a house, inherit a... Well, buy a house, inherit a cat. It's one way to get a cat. And then wildlife, for me, was also not nearly as exciting for you. Uh, I saw a little baby gopher snake. Oh. It was, like, just walking back to my house with my friend Mary. And then we scared it, and it jumped into the gutter, and it went into the road, and we're like... No, <laughs> it's gonna die because it was maybe six inches. It was so little, and so we we probably stressed it out a lot. But we tried, and we eventually did get it back onto the grass. But uh, it,
1: was it was playing slither. It was yeah, like frogger, it, but for it snakes. was like
0: too small to get up on the curve. Oh. But it tried. It was so oh, it was really cute and really little. And I did scream when I saw it because thousands cute of years is. of evolution yeah. programmed that in me. And cute things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My recent wildlife, aside from mountain lion, that I actually did see was me and Kat. We have three dogs, and we're taking them on a hike Mm -hmm. up Temple Fork, and there was no other cars. It was lovely, so the dogs are off-leash, running, getting their exercise, and just hear barking up ahead. I'm just like, oh, God. Is it some cow that didn't get caught in Roundup? Is it some kind of thing? Get running up there. And there's a badger, which I've (gasps) never seen up here, just, like, curling its lips, hissing and growling, and my dogs are barking at it, so I run up, spook my dogs off, the badger went into his little badger hole, and... How
0: big was the badger?
1: It was... I'm using my hands to describe something, (laughs) and I can't tell what it is in units.
0: (laughs) I would say two and a half feet.
1: Two and a half feet, and built like a shovel. Just very efficient...
0: Don't like a shovel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, good at digging, and also a weasel. And weasels are not something that I uh, think are cuddly. So. Oh, I
0: like the look of weasels. I think yeah. they do look cuddly, but yeah, behavior wise. Wild
1: weasels, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, no, no cuddles there. That's cool. I was gonna guess either a moose or a beaver because there are mm. lots. There's beaver there's a dams ton of beavers, up there. Yeah. But cool, a badger. That's
1: awesome. Stressful.
0: Stressful. <laughs> you went
1: up there and you're like, oh, God.
0: <laughs> my three dogs.
1: Yeah, yeah, my dogs, this badger. Like, <laughs> if someone gets bit, we have to go to the bed and do rabies. Well, I'm glad yeah. no one got
0: bit. I assume, yes. right? Yes. No one got bit? Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. For conscious content consumption, would you like to go first?
1: Yeah. So I sent you a video that was probably one of my highlights from the pandemic, which was a short concert by a gentleman named David Bechkol, who is the sound ecologist for the state of Utah. So he uses sound as an ecological determinant of health. So he has these listening stations all over the state, and you can measure the ambient natural noise when there's no anthropogenic noise, primarily internal combustion engines from overflights. And you can measure that, and when you do get an overflight or the sound of an internal combustion engine...
0: You mean a plane when yes. you say overflight? overflight,
1: yeah. yeah. Lingo, sorry. I can sorry. see uh,
0: Patrick's hand moving like a plane <laughs> across the sky, but for those of you who don't know what an overflight is...
1: Um, and so then when the sound of this engine comes in, you have a dip in the ambient noise because it is... It stresses out animals. Oh. And so they actually stop their singing, they stop making calls, and you just hear this airplane, and then he is able to determine how quickly that ambiance sound recovers. And by that recovery, you're able to determine how overall stressed and healthy those environments are. So this is someone who his job is <laughs> listening to the natural world. Every single day in his office, he has these headphones on, and he just listens to nature. What a
0: wild job. Yeah. It's like, instead of reading, and I'm sure he does read academic articles, but he's like, what do I do for a good chunk of my day? I just listen to nature.
1: And he got into this. He was a student at University of Wisconsin, and I believe he was a biology major, and he just started you know, moonlighting as a sound mixer at the local bar. (laughs) And so he just like really fell in love with acoustic physics and just sort of spun that into his current career. But yeah, so this is him playing a piece during the pandemic, during lockdown out of the uh, native village of Cantwell, Alaska, which is just South of the Alaska range near Denali national park.
0: So is it music or is it ambient sound? Or is it music? It's, it's, Music made from it?
1: So he plays primarily guitar. He does a little sort of uh, talk about the fundamentals of sound physics and what you can learn about feedbacks in nature through feedbacks in sound. And he is just one of the most incredible musicians. If you think about how most music is created, you hear something, you like it, you're inspired, you sort of have your general inspirations and general fields. And his music is inspired by what he hears, which is the natural world. (laughs) And so he has invented his own guitar tuning method, and he plays according to that. And his lyrics are just like deep and poetic. It's like if Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush, like greatest drummer of all time, was also the songwriter for Rush. Beautiful lyrics. It's like if Neil Peart played guitar, kind of, but was less metal. Um, but yeah, so amazing, amazing. And then he has a number of albums that include a ton of ambient natural sound in it as well. But his his music name is Simon Piler, but his name is David Vetchel. So
0: okay,
1: give you this to listen to, and it's currently uh, displayed in the Anchorage Museum as well. So it was recorded as cool. sort of this uh, time capsule of the pandemic in Alaska and then was a part of a exhibit at the Anchorage Museum. So,
0: Do you know if part of him doing it during the pandemic was because there was less traffic and less lights and less noise to stress out the animals? We've heard that with bird songs.
1: Yeah, I haven't talked to him about impacts from the pandemic on ambient noise levels. I would imagine, though, that it would have made a huge deal because in Denali, where he's based out of, and I used to work up in Denali as well for another nonprofit, um, which is how I met David, is playing music with him. But most of the flights are for tourist sightseeing yeah. of the mountain. And so you can pay a couple hundred dollars. You hop in a plane. You go see the mountain. It's beautiful. You get photos. You go back. But if you're a backcountry a user or you're a wild animal and it's a sunny day, there's a flight every 10 minutes oh, and man. you're just like okay i am in a national park the size of new hampshire i am the only person in my unit that might be you know a couple thousand of thousand acres and it's like i know i'm the only person for 15 20 miles around but there's these airplanes i keep going except and going, for all the
0: people in the sky except all the people in the sky <laughs> so like
1: that idea of solitude like the best time to be out in denali is when the weather is just I don't know, my language... Uh,
0: You can say shit.
1: (laughs) I can say shit. Great. When the weather's shit, (laughs) that's the best time to be out there, because it's just you and the rain and just the silence. Yeah.
0: such a bummer to think about, but it makes sense. And I was going to ask if you knew him, because you're like, I didn't talk to him about that, but...
1: Yeah. You've talked to him. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And you
0: played music with him.
1: Yes. We used to play music together. We actually played for the 100th anniversary of Denali National Park. We closed. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You closed?
1: Yeah. You were in a band? Yeah. with Me and David. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh. Okay. David and I. Yeah. David and I. Yeah. Good good grammar. But he's a much
1: better musician than I am, which is why I'm pushing his stuff. I
0: believe it now. (laughs) Granted, I didn't know you were a musician until just barely, but. It's okay. (laughs) That's cool. That's really cool. I. I didn't listen or watch the video, but I certainly will after this. And I will include it in the show notes for anybody listening who's like, what? I want to see that. (laughs) Yeah. The conscious content consumption that I have to share today is another podcast. And I'm pretty sure the, the full name of it is Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. But its Instagram handle and its Twitter handle and all that, it's Black Men Can't Jump. And then in parentheses in Hollywood, so I think that's just the full name of it. It's an excellent podcast. I'll just read to you here. It is a comedic podcast that reviews films with leading actors of color and analyzes them in the context of race and Hollywood's diversity issues. It's hosted by Jonathan Braylock, James Third, and he never says his last name, and I can't imagine the third is his last name, and Gerard Milligan, and they're all hilarious, you can find the podcast anywhere. I learned of it by listening to my other favorite podcast, The Bechdel Cast, which is another movie podcast. I really love movies, but I don't have time to watch them ever. And if I watch too much TV, I just feel sad. But then listening to podcasts about movies, it's almost like you're watching them again. But then you're also learning about the production and the casting and if the director was a total asshole or not. <laughs> and it just, I really like it. And the Bechdel cast, which I've talked about before, and I don't know if you know what the Bechdel cast is.
1: Another fantastic. test.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they use the test as a jumping off point to talk okay. about the representation of minority genders in films and it's really good and so it's kind of like with these two podcasts I get two different takes on movies. For example both of these podcasts did Sister Act which is just oh, an wow. incredible yeah. movie <laughs> and they both just have different super insightful things to say and I've learned from both of them I don't know which one might be my favorite podcast at this point they're both excellent and some examples of episodes from the Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood that I already listened to and that were all just excellent work. Black Panther, Black Klansman, Shark Tale, which was a horrible movie, and they agreed with me. Hitch, which I didn't like, but they did. The Watermelon Woman, Prey, nope, the new movie. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which, have you seen that movie? Mm Mm-mm. I think it's maybe the best movie I've ever seen.
1: Oh, wow. Yes. Which is That's a, big, a high bar. It's a
0: big thing to say, and I'm saying it recorded. And then they've also done a bunch of Disney movies and other remakes, like Mulan and Lion King. They did Green Book, which they also said was shit, and I also agree with them. I don't think it was a very good movie. It didn't make a lot of sense, but a lot of people liked it, and I'm pretty sure it won an Oscar.
1: I don't know movies something. well enough to okay. know. I'm sorry.
0: Well, maybe you're not the person I should be preaching to about these podcasts, but there's so. <laughs> good and they're really fun all three guys that host it Jarrah and James and Jonathan they're hilarious y'all should check it out that's all I have for conscious content consumption you want to jump into the Jump into Stokes?
1: Yeah, let's chat. Okay. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> my first thing is we know that you are the director of education, but what does that mean? Like, what is your role at Stokes Nature Center? What
1: do, what do I actually do? The first thing that pops into my mind is that scene from Office Space where the guy is like... <laughs> Well, (laughs) no, so I basically oversee the curricular development and sort of our strategic plan around education and our pedagogy, which is just a lot of words to say. I make sure that we're focusing on outdoor and environmental education and meeting our requirements internally as an organization for getting the numbers we need for different grants that we're um, benefiting from. Uh, One of our big pushes right now is for diversity, equity, and inclusion, which, you know, Logan, Utah, very white place, our organization founded by white people who are primarily higher education. And so how do we reach more diverse audiences and how do we provide, um, how do we reduce barriers to access? Because sometimes a barrier to access is it's not on the bus route and that's a really fair barrier to access and so one of our big projects is we are developing an 11 acre nature park that is like 100 feet from a bus stop which is like really really critical it is in northern nibley it's close to low income housing it's close to these other areas that aren't representative of our historic population of reach which is affluent white people yeah. primarily living on the east side of Logan. So we're definitely working to broaden that scope. So it's making sure that our programs are pointing in that direction and then it's applying for grants, filing grant reports, I run our in-house professional development. I do a little bit of a, a little bit of fundraising like going out and doing some development and then super fun stuff like this where I get to
0: <laughs> talk about it talk about it. Yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that you were expanding or maybe not expanding. That's the wrong word.
1: Yeah. So we were given, this land was donated to Stokes in 2003. Oh. So we've had it for quite a while. Almost 20 um, years. Yes. So when <laughs> I first came to Stokes in 2018, it was being still, it had been this project that was always kind of kicked around like, oh, we'll do something with that sometime. And it really wasn't until our most current executive director, Kendra Penry, came in. She was like, we need to actually do something with this. It's a huge opportunity. Yes, it's a big project. It's about a $3.5 million project to build this outdoor classroom.
0: Might as well start now. Might as
1: well start now. (laughs) And she is a butt kicker. Hands down, best boss I've ever had. And also, like, one of the best minds of nonprofits in Utah today, like by far.
0: Hell yeah, and that's so
1: she has gotten good us thing like, to say
0: about somebody. Oh
1: yeah. I am
0: I am such <laughs> a follower. Yeah. I am
1: I am in her camp. Yeah. But so we've been able to fundraise a substantial amount of money. We've gotten a federal economic development grant to pour money into this project to wetland restoration, so we're expanding wetland. We have a native firefly population out there. What? So it's going to bolster... There's
0: fireflies in Utah?
1: Oh, yeah. There's no fireflies. Way. Yes. So I'm- there's Firefly Park in Nibley. The story of Firefly Park was there was Ron Helstern is a gentleman who passed away a few years ago, was a local environmentalist, and out in Nibley they were going to take this marshy area right next to... Oh, I forget the name of the park. Legacy Park? Something generic and American.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> very patriotic. Yeah, we like, have a legacy here.
1: Yeah. Get her done. Yeah.
0: Were they proposing to drain it and then pave it over?
1: Yes, and put in pickleball on tennis courts.
0: Oh, those are very important things.
1: Yes. And it was a native wetland. It was obviously, you know, critical to our environment out there. And Ron Helstern went out one evening and saw fireflies. And he was like, ding. <gasps> Dang. (laughs) And so he connected, I want to say, with Jack Green, because Jack Green is connected to everything that's ever happened with, like...
0: Jack Green, the Audubon guy? Yeah. I know Jack
1: Green. He's connected to, like, everything. Like, I feel like if you went to the USU archives to, like, 1848, there'd be a picture of Jack Green, like, (laughs) I don't know, doing something to save grizzly bears. And so the ball just got rolling, and Stokes did a program out there, I want to say 2017, and said, there's fireflies, come see, and it exploded. People didn't know there's fireflies in Utah, but they're native. They've always been here, but they haven't been observed because they're in marshy areas where people don't like to go, and they come out in the summer when people don't want to be out in those marshy areas. And so LDS settlers have been here since 1848, Nothing on the books until
0: 2017. Wow, that's wild. Yeah,
1: there's interviews with folks that are landowners around. They're like, yeah, we saw stuff.
0: Have you seen these fireflies? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, we do tours out there every year. So we'll go out with our team of naturalists, go out with people, and we're like, here are the fireflies. And we're running community that's science so projects. Cool. Yeah, so we have people run community science, like, how many blinks did you see? And one of the preeminent firefly researchers in the world is at Brigham Young University. Wow! And so Christy Bills, who manages the Western Firefly Project out of Natural History Museum of Utah, who you should talk to because she is, pun intended, the bee's knees, (laughs) has collected specimens and working with Brigham Young to try and see... Chances are it's its own species out here in the West. That's so
0: wild. I would love to talk to her. That's so cool. I had no... I've grown up here, you know. I thought I knew a lot about Utah. I did listen to a whole thing about fireflies and how there are some in California. But I was like, yeah, there's definitely not any in Utah. The only thing we have is, like, earthquakes.
1: We got them. (laughs) (laughs) That's so
0: cool. Okay.
1: So that's why I do at Stokes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I, I should ask, tell us what Stokes is and where oh, yeah. Stokes is.
1: Stokes Nature Center, long form name is the Allen and Alice Stokes Nature Center. Mm. Named after Allen Stokes, who is the last student of Aldo Leopold, who was the father of American conservationism, who wrote Sand County Almanac. Alan Stokes was a professor at Utah State and studied wildlife behavior. He was one of the first people to put forth this, hear me using my air quotes, radical idea that (laughs) um, animals, and specifically mammals, are not sort of mindless, that they have intent, they have rational thought, and they make decisions based upon available data. Like, we know this now, but it was pretty crazy back in the 60s.
0: I had no idea that he was the last student of Aldo Leopold. Nobody could see this except for Patrick, (laughs) but I made a face. I was very shocked.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so he, obviously really important for environmental education here, um, and then his wife, Alice Stokes, worked with members of the deaf community and actually started the first school for children who are deaf in Utah. Um, And they were also Quakers. Yeah, they were Quakers. And they actually performed the first Quaker marriage in Utah to a local community member and philanthropist Sally Sears and her late husband Randy Worth happened in their backyard. They were also really vocal proponents of Planned Parenthood because they were Quakers.
0: That's so So, cool. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: really important to the local community and local environmental education. In the mid-90s... It all starts with Jack Green. <laughs> Jack Green had done a lot of work around the country and was really familiar with Teton Science School and wanted to bring a similar structure here to Cache Valley. So he was a member of the Bridger Audubon Society. Still is. Still is.
0: Board member and maybe vice president of Bridgerland Audubon Society.
1: I just know that he's the guy. He like, yeah. he's
0: definitely the guy.
1: And so He was like, we need to start this thing. And so he got Bridger Audubon to start looking into what this would take. And they eventually partnered with the First Presbyterian Church here in town because they owned... Oh, because there's a lot of uh, crossover between the congregation of the Presbyterian Church and (laughs) Bridger Audubon. And they found what's today our Nature Center Lodge, which is owned by the Boy Scouts boy scouts in utah more property they knew what to do with this property had been derelict for years and so they eventually underwent renovation of the property initially we were going to be called the logan canyon nature center but the idea floated to call it after alan and alice alan was very ill at this time and said we i want you to put alice's name first alice and alan nature center he unfortunately died in nineteen ninety six and when we opened in nineteen ninety seven, Alice was still alive and she said, No, it's going to be Alan and Alice.
0: Um, I heard this story not too long ago for the first time and I thought that was so cute. They're oh, yeah. both just like fighting over <laughs> whose spouse is first. the first yeah. yeah, it's like you go first. You're more yeah. important. I love you more yeah. <laughs> just like, Oh, it's so sweet.
1: Yeah, and Alice was a really important part of the organization until she passed away. Um, and we, when we opened, we started really focusing on teacher training because that's what we wanted to do, is train local teachers to engage with the natural world How in cool. their curricular yeah. execution. Um, and we still do a decent amount of that, but we've obviously broadened quite a bit. And it's our 25th year this year.
0: Oh, yeah, so happy 25th. Happy
1: birthday. Thank you we can rent a car next year.
0: Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you don't really get anything except for yeah. a quarter century.
1: Yeah. Now, halfway to, halfway to 30. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, we run a nature preschool. It's the first and, to my knowledge, still the only certified nature preschool in the state of Utah. So, we are licensed through the state as a preschool. Oh, cool. And so, our students, it's really small class sizes. We use Montessori methods. We lean a lot into no child left out are left inside. Um,
0: oh, I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah. That's really um, cute. Richard Louvre wrote this book called Last Child in the Woods, I think back in 2005, that talks about this concept he coined called nature deficit disorder, where we are disconnected mm. from the natural world. And so it kind of spurred this movement. So we are in our, I want to say, eighth year of our preschool. We do school programs, we have a free nature center, anyone can pop in and see stuff. We just finished a renovation last year, which was great. We have interpretive panels all over, and we have interpretive exhibits. So it's
0: that main inside that was renovated?
1: Yes, and then we painted the outside. We couldn't change the outside because it's historic structure, and Forest yes. Service said, yes. it needs to stay brown. And we're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're like, we will
0: just spiff it up, yeah. a tiny bit.
1: Yeah, so we are located though, if you're driving into Logan Canyon, about a quarter mile after you enter the canyon proper, you see it says Stokes Nature Center parking, and it points to the left. Don't park there. If you can park on the right on the shoulder, and then you walk the river trail. It's about a third of the mile, and there's our nature center. Come in, stop by, and if you like it, you can keep going down the trail, and you can hike the entire national forest really from there if yeah. you just know how to use trails.
0: I was pretty impressed when I first moved to Logan of how connected all the trails are. And I was like, whoa, I could just go from Dry Canyon to Logan Canyon to Green Canyon. I mean, that would take a really long time. But I could do it. And oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Very cool.
1: But yeah, so that's where we're from. And that's where we're at. And- Our new property is out in Nibley, and we have administrative offices in Providence because cell signal and internet (laughs) is difficult in the canyon. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a push to put cell towers in. I understand why, for safety. Safety reasons. Primarily, because there are a lot of traffic accidents that happen in Logan Canyon because it is a very technical road.
0: My roommate is search and rescue, and the rescues that they go out on I think it's significant enough to be like, one cell tower is not a bad idea. Yeah. Especially how far they get stuck up there. It's wild.
1: Yeah. So, cell towers, maybe, coming soon. (laughs) Really good for personal safety.
0: Not so good for... Just leave
1: your phone in the car. Yeah. Bring a map. Use a compass. Triangulate. Adjust for declination. Mm
0: -hmm. Recently, I learned you can get little... Of course, this is money, and money that a lot of people don't have, but... They're almost like little walkie-talkies, and they're in case something goes wrong. Mm. And you don't pay for cell service unless you use it, in which case it's like, well, if you're in trouble, might as well use that, and that might save you. But it it has your GPS, and then you can send texts. You can call people if you're like in a real dire situation. Coming back to Stokes, my next question was going to be, what is the value of it to the community? And I think you highlighted that. Pretty well, but it would be cool to hear if you could lay out the programs that you have and maybe what folks could get involved in.
1: Yeah, so the value to the community as we see it is your launching off point and your reflection place for your experiences in the National Forest. So we want you to come enjoy a program that we do spark curiosity and then get the heck out there yourselves (laughs) or with a small group that you feel comfortable with, experience the world on your own terms, and then come back to the Nature Center through our programs or through the center and reflect upon those experiences within the larger context that we try to provide, where Logan Canyon connects us to our present, our future, and our past. And so where we are as these individual organisms in this large geologic history, sometimes is really important to see. It makes you feel very small, hopefully not like to the point of nihilism. (laughs) And also it's important to go out there with that sense of humility that you're not out to conquer a thing or to, you know, overcome something unless that conquering and overcoming is something that you're trying to do interpersonally within yes. yourself maybe you have a fear of being mm-hmm. out of cell signal and like here you go there's plenty of really excellent opportunities to have an enjoyable time without cell signal mm-hmm. maybe you want to go out for your own personal reflection so we like to provide that resource that says here are the places to go here are the things to see, and go beyond that. We offer programs for everything from toddlers, we do, it's called Nature Tales, like a story time um, every week.
0: Oh, that's we, very cute. With, oh, yeah. With the preschool or just,
1: just for all anyone. toddlers welcome? It's, it's free. It's open to the public. You can just come. There's a craft and a book, and, like, you learn some nature <laughs> lessons. Is it
0: toddler-specific? Like, if I just showed up myself, would that be weird? I mean,
1: it might be, like, <laughs> if you're not seen with a kid, someone might give you a side-eye. Like,
0: Okay. So it's are, are you looking made for s- kids.
1: <laughs> it's made for kids, okay. and, like, the parents are there because, like... They need a break and they smoking kills. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, if you decide not to smoke, (laughs) like, it's the next best thing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anything to like
1: occupy your child for an hour. But yes, we offer that. We have our nature preschool, which is successful and a lot of fun.
0: I didn't know that Stokes was a registered preschool.
1: We're licensed through the state. Uh, yeah. So,
0: uh, licensed. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Yeah. It was really interesting when the state licensure came out because the codes for Utah are not written with nature preschools in mind. <laughs> and so there are certain... Not
0: surprising. <laughs> yeah.
1: So like there's certain things in there and we're like, well, it says we can't have a body of water, but we're next to a river. And they're like, Yes. So here's how we address that. And so we're working within the confines of the law.
0: How did they address that?
1: We have a fence.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. And so they're just like, yes, you're not supposed to have one on premises, but it's public land and you don't own that land.
0: It's not technically on the premise of the preschool. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we have a fence, kids can't get to the river, and unless they're supervised. So, like, that kind of stuff works out. And we do school programs for K 12, we do adult programs. Two that are my favorites one is a natural dyes program. So, we bring oh. up a professional textile artist from actually Albuquerque, and her day job is restoring Navajo blankets using traditional dyes. That's and so, cool. she teaches this natural dyes workshop where you're using all plant based dyes. To create all the and so every day is a different color at the end you create whatever you would like at the end of the the program
0: is it like one day a week sort of thing
1: it's uh, five afternoons for one week okay and another program that we run and we ran it targeted at university students last year and it did really well is we bring in a professional scientific illustrator to talk about how you can do scientific illustration field notes so, we bring him up in the spring before field season
0: that's so cool. and people
1: registered last year, and it doesn't matter if you're doing social science like plant transects or you know you're just looking at amoebas mm-hmm. in a petri dish all summer yeah. long. Sometimes you need to draw a thing, and so he talks about how you can incorporate illustration into your data collection.
0: That's so cool. Yeah,
1: and that's another multi-day workshop where you leave with a ton of materials. So it's like you now have a notebook and you have all the fancy different weighted pencils and the um, watercolor pens and stuff like that. I see why
0: those two are your favorite yeah, and maybe you're very artistic, and that's why you prefer those I'm, two.
1: I'm, I uh, am, uh, I want to be artistic.
0: <laughs> yeah, striving to be artistic. I yeah, bet you are. I mean, sounds like you're a musician, and all your shirts indicate so.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm code switching. <laughs> <well enough. laughs> yes, I'm artistic.
0: <laughs> and then you said you have a community science project.
1: Yeah, the Firefly project is one of them. Community science is. Analogous with the term citizen science, but mm-hmm. we as a field are moving away from the word citizen because it disenfranchises and it forces people into picking sides. It's like honestly, you're alive, awake, enthusiastic. Let's do science. Like yes. you're part of the community.
0: Yeah, I actually talked about this with Sarah Woodbury because SageLand Collaborative
1: they're yeah. doing
0: the same thing. So
1: yeah, so really happy to see that shift in lingo happening but yeah so we do the firefly project we partner with the usu water quality lab and we'll do water quality programs with students that feed into this larger community science project okay that uh, usu water quality is running
0: is it mostly on logan river
1: it's wherever so we have a site on logan river that's like our site to report But what we like to do, especially with school students, is we'll do, like, a sampling. Spring Hollow is usually good, like, above Third Dam at Stokes Nature Center, which is in between Second and First Dam. Then you can do sampling as the river runs through. You can do sampling at Benson. Then you can sample even like throughout the entire watershed, and you basically see this conglomerate up in the mountains. It's like, oh, dissolved oxygen really high, like, mm, <laughs> phosphorus very low, and then, and you, then get as you, cu- get
0: you get down and Cutler Marsh. You're just
1: like, it's glowing. <laughs> like, okay, 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 it's everything's glowing. fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and for folks that don't know, Cutler Marsh is just in the valley. Yes, and the water there has already gone through the municipalities.
1: Yes. So, high chance of non-point source runoff by the time it gets there. Where yeah, yeah. it's like we don't know where this phosphorus came from. Likely erosion from agricultural fields. Mm-hmm. But
0: And I imagine a bunch of microplastics and all that stuff's in there too, just from road runoff and
1: Oh almost assuredly <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so the folks who join for that community science project with
1: the watershed water yeah.
0: quality stuff that you're doing do they learn how to do it is that kind of the point for them?
1: Yeah, so that specific project is a part of our curriculum that we run for school students. Oh, okay. And so they usually tie it back in with their standards. The Utah State Standards got revised a couple years ago, where they now need phenomena in order to see how these principles work in the real world. How effectively that's being done depends on school district to school district. Yeah. And the associated funding for teachers to actually get out and take their students on these trips
0: well that's pretty cool i didn't know that that was a job option when i was in high school i I hope that high schools are doing a better job of being like there are all these different options and now that environmentalism is almost a fad which i'm okay with i think that's (laughs) great it needs to start somewhere but people are learning about these jobs what a cool job to Think about as a what middle school or high school student, yeah,
1: middle school is what we do these yeah. programs. And yeah, you're like,
0: Oh, cool, I can work outside and be a scientist and make probably some good money.
1: Yeah, use the word turbidity. Turbidity,
0: yeah, it's a, that is a good word. Any other community scientist projects?
1: Those are the only ones that are happening continually. We do have sort of smaller snapshot projects that will run. In the spring, we're going to start one looking at trail usage along the river trail. Oh, cool. So we have some infrared counters that just counts how many people are using the trail, when, and what conditions. They're not fancy enough to know like what mode of transportation are yeah, using. Yeah, I was going to
0: ask. Can it tell yeah. if it's a bike?
1: There are some really fancy trail counters that can. Ours can't, but those need calibration.
0: I have a question about those that you might not have the answer to. Right. Do they only count if you step on it?
1: Our trail counters that we use are an infrared beam that, like, when you walk into a store wow. and it goes ding ding, like, it's the same thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, a dog is too short for this.
1: Yes. So, you we, wouldn't
0: count the dogs.
1: Yeah, so it misses most dogs, so some big dogs. <laughs> most dogs and most small children. Okay. Um, But it definitely is counting adults. So it's like three feet off the ground, I think. Okay. Is yeah, there where are, where are some big dogs are. that would. Yeah, but those aren't installed yet, but we'll have to have people calibrating them. So sitting there, seeing this Good. time, this one person went by, two people went by, and then you look at the data, be like, oh, it double counts everything. We need to half.
0: Mm, so it's just a calibration metric. Yeah. But yeah. yeah that's really cool. Well, if anyone wants to get involved with those, I think the firefly one, I'm still stuck on that, that there are fireflies in Utah.
1: Yeah. The big thing we want to do with fireflies, we had an intern, Ren Weinstock, develop a long-term research project for us with fireflies at our Nibley site that is looking at basically what is the abundance of invertebrates out there, and then what we really want to do is try and find firefly eggs and larvae because they live in the soil, but we've never found them. So we don't know which, oh. how deep they live, if they're in the strata. They're the same as glowworms, so you hear glowworm, that's just a firefly larva.
0: Oh, I didn't and, know that.
1: Yeah, and they live most of their life as firefly larvae. They're only fireflies for a brief amount of time. They're like... Fluttering around, <laughs> blinking me like, "Love me, okay." And <laughs> they love each other, and then they lay eggs and more larvae. So,
0: do you know about how short their little blinky lifetime is?
1: At most, like two months, three wow. months.
0: Uh, well, they're spectacular for
1: yeah. about
0: two months. That's I'm sure we'll do the quote unquote glowworms glow. Yeah, oh.
1: bioluminescence. That's
0: oh. so cool. I should probably take part in this.
1: Fireflies.
0: Yeah. You said Ren. Is that one of the students here, a grad student? Because there is a grad student named Ren yes. here. Yes.
1: Ren Weinstock is a graduate student here and they interned with us as well last summer. Cool. Yeah.
0: So if people in Logan are like, I have children, or I also think this firefly thing sounds really cool. How would they get involved?
1: So we have tons of volunteer opportunities if folks want to volunteer, primarily around the nature center, like hosting the nature center. I, once in a while, get called in to host the nature center. I love it because I can just hang out at the desk, interact with some people. They're mostly like reading the signs though, so I can like do my homework oh cool just like kind of chill
0: so hosting is just sitting there and being the face of it for a Greeting
1: people if they have questions answering those questions if they want some ideas of like where to hike or if they have horses like where can I take my horses or like where can I go dirt biking and just generally knowing the resources available
0: do the volunteers the host volunteers do they get a little training on that Oodles. (laughs)
1: Okay. Yeah. So there's a day of training. Nice. Yeah. Where you learn all the ins and outs. And then we always have service projects that we need done, which is really good if you just want a one and done kind of thing. It's like, I would like to sweat for a cause. It's like, oh, good, like,
0: <laughs> but only for one day, lift, which I totally yeah. understand. That's a valid way to lift go. Lift
1: with your legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> otherwise, just engaging with Stokes, our nature center is absolutely free, open to the public. We're closed in December and January for because it's
0: cold, because it's snowy and hard to get to.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, not hard to get to, just cold. Through data tracking, we saw we had really love visitation. We're just like, let's just hibernate for December and January. Yeah. But 10 to 4, we're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you can come on by. We have tons of programs. Our upcoming programs we have our gala on November 5th. We have a wreath making workshop we're running um, in collaboration with Freckle Farm
0: on December 2nd.
1: Yeah, so it's all locally harvested greenery. And you can even make your own wreath frame. We harvest dogwood. And you can make your own frame too. So if you like sort of like the naked wreath where it's mostly rustic wooden frame and like a few sprigs...
0: That's really cool, and what a great way to do a holiday thing that yeah. isn't super consumerism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah, the most consumerist thing you have is floral wire and ribbons. Challenge by choice on the ribbons, maybe some hot glue. <laughs> um,
0: Love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, consumerism, sometimes you need to consume things, but most it's, of the time you can find it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's fine that we do consume things, it's just a system that we're put in. And, yeah, um,
1: get a wreath that'll compost. Like. Yeah,
0: very yeah. cool. Just going back to the kids, if somebody wanted to enroll their kid into the preschool, is that fairly easy? I assume a lot of parents want their kids in that preschool.
1: Yeah, it's really popular. So our current waiting list is something like 85 people. um, 85 kiddos. 85 kiddos. I guess Um, they're
0: people too, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we have 32 slots every year. So there's morning and afternoon sessions, eight kids in each. Each class gets two teachers. So the legal requirement in Utah, I think, is one teacher for every 10 students, and we do one for every four because... Because you're outside. We're there for the education as well, and you're going to get more time for learning interpersonal and social skills when you have a qualified teacher that's watching four kids per teacher instead of 10. Gosh, it sounds like you need to
0: hire more teachers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're going to be opening a second site for the preschool at Nibley, which uh, is another reason why. So we'll have two preschools. But
0: That's really yeah. great. And then you're going to have people who live close to Nibley.
1: Exactly. Oh, yeah,
0: That's just fantastic.
1: Um, but yeah, to register for preschool, we have a website, logannature.org. And you can go on there, and it tells you how to inquire about Nature Preschool and finding a slot. School programs we run with schools. We have scholarships for Title I schools. Mm. So for Title I schools, we will cover transportation, so you don't have to pay for buses. And we run free programs for fourth graders. So if you're a fourth-grade teacher or have a fourth-grade kid... We do free programs for fourth graders.
0: That's so cool. So, Why uh, specifically fourth grade?
1: The United States Forest Service. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, it is one of their goals is to engage fourth grade students, and so we are part of some grant funding. So we do free fourth grade programs, and we receive money from the Forest Service for those programs.
0: I know that the logic behind that wasn't what I'm about to say, but I like to think that they were sitting there and they're like, what grade sounds most similar to forest? Fourth. It should be fourth grade. And that's how they made the decision. Definitely not how they did it, but I like to think yeah. that Stokes the mayor was in the room and the decision was made. Does Stokes have a website that people can visit Yeah. And check things out and social media?
1: Yes, we have social media. Which I don't manage, which I'm very happy about. <laughs> I personally have zero social media, and so I am, like, Ooh. not a social media literate person by choice. Yeah, very And so nice. we hired someone who knows about social media. We have a TikTok even now.
0: <gasps> wow, that's yeah. amazing. I, yeah, I'm right with you in terms of social media. I started an Instagram for this podcast, and, uh... If anybody has followed that, they know that it's just really slacking. (laughs) Um, And that might not ever change unless somehow I start making a lot of money off this and I can pay somebody else to do it. But Yeehaw. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Our at symbols are, or whatever we're at is Stokes underscore nature underscore center. Our website is logannature.org. Okay. Yeah. Nice. The domain was purchased when we were still Logan Canyon Nature Center. So
0: we rolled with it. Yeah, yeah. That was a while ago then. Yeah. Before the renovations happened, right?
1: Yeah, twenty five years.
0: Is there anything else that you want to share about the Nature Center? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really do like all of my co-workers. We're all there for the right reasons and are really dedicated to connecting people with the natural world and really helping them have their own experiences in nature. And I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast knows this, but like the idea of the bifurcation of or the separation of humans from nature is just the most obscene fallacy. Where it's just not true. We are natural beings. We need to be in natural settings.
0: Yeah, Fallacy was the exact word that I was yeah. thinking of.
1: And sometimes that natural setting is a local park. Sometimes that natural setting is... A dandelion in the crack of the sidewalk that makes you smile because you're like, that is me today. I'm a dandelion in the crack of the sidewalk. Side note, dandelion, invasive species. It is. Non-native, but deeply beneficial to local pollinators. So not everything that's non-native is bad. That's true. Thanks, that's dandelion.
0: True.
1: <laughs> Unless you're dyer's woad. Boo, dyer's woad. Oh, dyer's woad. I don't know. Dyer's wode cheatgrass, Two oh down. yeah, that's everywhere. Dandelions, two thumbs up.
0: Fragmites, two, two thumbs, thumbs down. down. Yeah. Very bad, very bad. Russian olives,
1: oh, two thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. I don't know much about them, but I do know that they smell so good on a warm day.
1: Someone in Sarah Klein's lab, Cole Stalker, did a research project up in Franklin County, Idaho, and talked to landowners with about their relations to different wildlife or animals and plants that lived around there. Basically, people are kind of divided about how they felt about elk, kind of divided about how they felt about deer, because of the deer and elk, they'll eat your yeah. crops, but you can also shoot them and like...
0: And we can hunt. We, we can like hunt hunting. Them.
1: Beavers, people are really split about because it's like beavers flood my plains. Everyone hates Russian olives. Oh. It's like the one thing that unites left right center <laughs> like That's
0: so funny. traditional
1: non-traditional I progressive guess. it's like we hate russian olives
0: because they're invasive and they choke out other plants or? they're
1: invasive they choke out other plants they drink tons of water
0: oh i didn't know that yeah
1: they are water hogs and mm. then also they're really hard to get rid of and they're thorny they're covered in they thorns. are thorny yeah yeah
0: also i don't know if you've ever tried to eat one
1: no,
0: <laughs> they're incredibly mealy, and it's it just yeah. makes the worst texture in your mouth. Yeah. We've all eaten things and then been like, yeah. "Ooh, I just don't like the feel of my mouth." This is ten times worse, yes. but it it does taste delightful, and birds eat it.
1: They also tried to turn it into biochar, and I guess the pH was as basic as baking soda or something like that. Whoa. Like you can't even use it as a soil amendment.
0: That's wild. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well.
1: Anyway, guys, I won't. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'll keep that in mind next time I smell the delightful smell of Russian olives. Two thumbs down.
1: Two thumbs down. Two in my thumb. book, you can, have, you can be, like, mixed.
0: I'll have one thumb down fully and then one thumb sideways. Yeah. Okay. TBD. TBD. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on and talking about Stokes. I learned a lot more than I thought. Number one thing is that there are fireflies in Utah. Heck Do you yeah. know, the, like, the name of them? I... Like what species...
1: It hasn't been solidified. Oh. Yeah.
0: Mystery yeah. Talk TBD. To, talk to Christy Bills. Okay.
1: Yeah, she is, again, full pun intended, bee's knees. There's certain people you meet in your life who about certain topics have forgotten more than you will ever know. Yeah. And she's forgotten more. And I'm not saying she has forgotten a lot, but, like, <laughs> she just knows Fireflies. Christy Bills. Christy Bills, Natural History Museum I will try History my hardest
0: to get her onto my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I need to thank AJ for the intro music, per usual, and as my dad always says, use your head and be clever. Bye, everyone.
1: Adios. Bye. <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Use your head. And be clever.